This podcast was recorded live on January 14th at 10 p.m. Things may have changed since the time of this recording. Please enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. I am Samori, your host, and the fellas are here for another episode of SJH Man Cave. We are live on Facebook and looking forward to another fantastic conversation. You can follow our Facebook page at SJH Man Cave and our Facebook group at SJH Podcast Family to get notified when we are going live and engage in discussions we have throughout the week. You can also see our videos on YouTube at SJH Man Cave. And with all that being said, let's dive right in. And this time I'll kick it off and talk a little bit about how my week has been. So, of course, uh, developments continue to occur due to the events of the riot at the Capitol. And I think the thing that has struck me the most is that you have a lot of people, a lot of white people especially, who have been forced to empathize and put themselves into situations that they've never had to put themselves in before. So, for example, uh, there were multiple reports over the last few days that there are Republicans who felt like everything Donald Trump was doing was wrong, felt like he was directly responsible for what happened at the Capitol. However, they still would not vote to impeach him because they've been experiencing death threats, because this MAGA group that they've been cultivating and depending on and making excuses for, for for however long, they finally started to turn against them. And all that aggression and rage that used to be directed towards other groups, other cultures, other races, now it's being turned towards them. And they have no idea what to do or how to handle it. And it's turned them into absolute cowards. Whereas the Congress people who are involved in this situation now who are not white, like AOC, Ayanna Presley, Ilhan Omar, all these people have been getting death threats for years <laughs> from this very same group of folks. And they, they, there was no support from the Republican side. None of them ever raised their hand and said, you know what, enough is enough. We need to calm down the rhetoric. No. They were perfectly happy with taking advantage of this this whole situation. And now they don't know what to do. And it's fascinating to me as well, because I feel like you can take that same situation and just apply it to regular folks. And it works the same way. Just today, uh, uh, for a former co-worker uh, sent me a Facebook message warning me, saying, hey, I, I've been hearing uh, at my job a, a lot of reports about white supremacist groups deciding that this weekend they're going to start targeting black families where they're going to commit violence against them or try to kidnap them as a, a way of doing, you know, a gang initiation or a group initiation. And it's going to be especially heated this weekend. And the whole time I'm reading this, you know, for her, it's it's very passionate. And she's like, wow, this is horrible. This is new. This is an escalation. Everybody needs to be really careful. For me, I look at it like this is <laughs> stuff that I think about all the time. Like I'm used to having to make my adjustments. I'm used to expecting the possibility of someone thinking about or trying to commit violence towards me 
every time I walk out the door. Like it just is what it is. And you learn to deal with it. And you learn how to deal with those situations when it comes up. So when I read it, I was like, nothing I don't know. But for her, it was like, oh, my God, I can't imagine living this way. And I think it's just fascinating. Fascinating to watch as people are being forced to look at the country and and look at the people around us in a completely different way than they ever have before. And I think that's only going to continue over you know, the next few weeks as this situation hopefully wraps up, if if it even wraps up at the inauguration, because maybe this is just what the next four years are going to be like, or maybe it's just what the country is going to be like. Anyway, that's what's been on my mind for the past week. Any thoughts about this? You know, I I, I mean, I, I can't help but to speak on that. It, it's, you know, at the end of the day, when you when you look at it, it's 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 those. You, you've had your chance to ostracize or, or get those people out of your party. Because what I, what I hear a lot of is that they, they don't necessarily represent the Republican Party. But you show take advantage of their voting power, don't you? You know, and, and they don't vote for you for nothing, right? They get something out of it. So, you know, you had your chance to, to isolate them out. You've had your chance to stand up and say racism, sexism, classism, all this is not going to be a part of my party. This is not a part of my campaign. You know, you had your chance to do that. And you could have got some Democratic support because there are some Democrats who wouldn't mind voting Republican if you could just get the your mess cleaned up. And but you but you you want those votes and you keep those votes. So you so so you just chill, you just let it happen. Right. So so, you know, I, I have no sympathy for any of them, of course, uh, as I'm sure you two don't either. You know, but you know, it's like you wanted their votes and you you stoked these fires for years long before Trump and you thought you could keep it under control. You thought it would only go so far and you found out what was true. 50 years ago, 100 years ago, which is, hey, you know, and as long as you stayed out of their way, you were fine. But if you got in the middle of it, if you tried to stop it, they were going to treat sympathizers just as bad as they were going to treat us. And you're finding that out. You're starting to find that out the hard way. So, you know, so, you know, you you need to if you want to save the Republican Party. You need to get them out of there. You need to get them out of there. You need to isolate them, and you need to let it be known that that's not going to be a part of your party anymore. If not, your party is is on its way out. It really is, is what it looks like. Mm-hmm. But it, it ain't going to be out without a fight. I, I can guarantee that because they're, they're, they're not going to back down anytime soon on this, and it doesn't look like you're going to kick them out of the party. So... <laughs> So we're just going to have to do away with the whole conservative <laughs> attitude here is what we're going to have to do. And that's going to be a tough fight to do, but it's got to be done. You know, Joe Biden called a lot of flack when he said at the podium that we need the Republican Party. You know, we need a strong, vibrant Republican Party. But I actually agree with him. I feel like, you know, competition breeds excellence. I do not 
believe that the country would benefit from only having one political party that everybody basically has to turn to in order to get things done. I feel like we work much better when there are two competent, um, um, real parties with real perspectives that are both fighting for America, but just in their own ways, and then coming, trying to come up with the best solutions. We haven't had that in this country for a long, long time. And it, it, I agree, it'll be interesting to see if the Republican Party can recover from this. It seems like McConnell is letting the media know that he's done, that he is basically ready to cut off Trump. And the question will be, once he cuts off Trump, does that mean he starts cutting off some of these MAGA people as well? Because there are some MAGA senators. They aren't all Congress people. So, you know, is this going to be an internal war with the Republican Party or are they going to cut off Trump and then be like, all right, y'all should just be okay with everybody else? Because that ain't going to (laughs) work. It's not going to work at all. So we'll see how it continues and how it develops, brothers. But that's definitely what's been on my mind this uh, this past week. All right. And with that, let's go ahead and get into our main topic and feel like we've talked about politics and Donald Trump and the news so much (laughs) over these past few months. It's time to refocus again and get back to the things that we actually wanted to do when we first started this podcast talking about fatherhood, relationships, family, and the things that are important to us in our day-to-day lives. So the question for today is, do you have the expectation that your partner will remain the same as when you met them? And we mean this both physically, mentally, and spiritually, but we'll start with physically. Do you have a responsibility to to the best of your ability, keep the same body as what you had when you first got with your partner. And Hudson, I'll start with you. Um, man, that is, that is, that is so tough because, but it's not tough in the sense of not the body, I would say, but I I think you've got a responsibility, especially if you had children to your partner to, to try to remain healthy. I think you had that responsibility. Um, you know, one, one of the jokes me and my wife has all the time is you now have to leave me here with these kids, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and absolutely. I, and I, I think that's a, a very fair expectation to have is that you're going to, you're going to try to, you know, to do somewhat eating right and, and try to do at least a, a bare amount of exercise to, to try to stay mobile. You know, like I gotta, I gotta run around with some little ones, you know, and, and I have to be able to do it, you know, and especially when this COVID lifts and I can go to the park again, I gotta be able to run after them little, them little buggers. So, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, so I, I think there should be an expectation that, hey, we, we gotta stay healthy and we got, we gotta stay, you know, we gotta stay in a good place. And beyond that, even a, a, a responsibility to my children because I would prefer not to be one of those old people that they gotta that they gotta constantly look after and take care of. Uh, I, I would prefer they don't have to change my diapers when I'm 70, 80 years old. I would prefer it, you know. Um, you know, sometimes it's out of your control, 
you can you could do all the healthy stuff in the world, but I mean, your body's going to fail eventually in some kind of way. So, you know, so even beyond that, you know, I, I guess we can get into the other stuff. I say also monetarily, but you know, so that maybe I can afford to have living living help and, and things like that. When I first got married, it was something I never really considered. I've been a diabetic since 2006, 2005. Uh, the only time I had ever really was concerned about things in 2005, obviously I was way younger. <laughs> so, you know, at that point in time, I felt I was, you know, indestructible. I was a young guy. I did, you know, I was I was very heavy set at that point in time. I think I was topping the scale somewhere around maybe about 435. I was a big dude. And uh, Hudson can attest to it when I ended up in the hospital when we were living out there in Vegas. You know, my, my life changed at that point. I don't think I really took it as seriously as I thought I should have. But uh, I I put in some effort to try and get my weight and everything under control. Uh, when I came back here, I uh, when I met when I met my my wife at the time she was you know she was she was just sending in and uh, you know the, the the time we spent before we got married I think I may have ended up in the hospital maybe once so I met her in two thousand and six you know we got together around two thousand eight I moved back here. And maybe about five years in before I actually proposed, you know, it might have been one time when my health, it really got to a point where it was kind of faulty or I ended up in the hospital and I just wasn't, you know, doing well. By that point in time, Jada was here, too. So it wasn't something that really hit me until you think you thought about it, where it's like, OK, well, I have a daughter. I have this woman who I plan on making my wife. Uh, you got to You got to do something here. Now, when I first started, like, going into it, I don't really think I thought about it health-wise. At the same time, I don't think I made good decisions on that. It was more along the lines of, okay, if I'm going to die, I got to make sure they're straight before I go. So, you know, I started looking into my finances and insurance and stuff like that. So looking at it now, you do <laughs> feel like you want, you want to try to – Keep that well, looking body. at it now, I mean, obviously, for I want to say at least for the last six or seven years, up until, you know, that bout that I that I had when I had my uh, blood clot that shot up through from my leg up into my chest, you know, that was the last time I had actually dealt with any kind of like health problems. Otherwise, I think I had been trying my best to get myself in a position where I'd at least be semi healthy. I'd, I'd like to make it to a certain age. There's an age I always kept in my head where it's like, all right, I'm cool if I get here. I don't know if I really want to go over that. But <laughs> in saying that, I realized that uh, I realized that uh, it could it could become kind of def a defeatist attitude. I guess if you if you try to mark yourself at a number like if I get here, you know, I'm good. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and at the end of the day, I'd, I'd like to be here for as long as I can. You know what I mean? especially when it comes to seeing my kids grow and me being here with my wife, you know, and hopefully she, she has the right same kinds of thoughts that I have. Like if we're going to be here, at least, at least we could be here together and keep each other, you know, keep our old butts company at least. Cause I don't want to go through the trouble of having to find and get to know somebody else. I, I don't want them kind of problems. I really don't. For me personally, you know, I'm almost, it's almost been the exact opposite. I never saw myself as an old man. 
I always felt like I was probably going to die young because I've never been in a situation where I felt like my health was really, really good. Like I, I wouldn't go to, I've been to hospital very rarely. I've never had, I don't have diabetes or anything like that, but I've just always been overweight. And for most of my life, I didn't feel like it was something I was going to be able to overcome. And I know that, you know, the body can only take so much. And I just kind of accepted that as the way things were going to be probably until Simone came around. It's only been really, really recently where, like you were saying before, I thought more about the future. And I'm like, I have a responsibility both to my child and to my wife to be healthy and be present, you know, because my my presence is needed. And before I didn't really have that mindset. And so coming from that standpoint, I feel like a a person does have a responsibility to at least be healthy, even if they can't maintain the same type of body that you had when you first got into a relationship. You can't get let it get to the point where you're in and out of the hospital and a whole bunch of things are happening to you that are really under your control. If you would be more disciplined and how you conducted yourself on a day-to-day basis, these things would not be happening to you. I, I do believe you have a responsibility to not put your partner through that. So what about so so I mean for us it's it's a health it's a health issue. But there's a lot of people out there where it's a, it's actually a a lips issue for them. You know, so I I mean what what do you guys think? Do you, do you think so like for me, I can't picture myself ever not being attracted to my wife. Like, like it, 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 it would never be something physical for me. It'd be something mental, right? That would that I. That's the only reason that I could ever think that. So I could never think of anything physically. But there's some people out there. For them, it's like, you know, it's like if if their wife gains. Like I, I've met people like this and talked to people like this. If their wife gains. 20 pounds or, or something due to pregnancy mm-hmm. or, or something like that. And they, they're just like turned off and they're, they're like, they're like done and they can't, unless their wife loses that weight, like within a certain amount of time they're getting. <laughs> and it's like, I, I just don't know. Is that even really love? Do they even really love that person is, is what I wonder. Here's, here's a crazy thing. When I met my wife, when, when we got together, we were, I, I, we we were both, if anybody look at it, they'll say, hey, they're overweight, look at the big folks and stuff like that. I believe when I met Cynthia, I thought she was perfect. She was beautiful. Mm-hmm. She had the prettiest smile in the world. And I was more attracted to her every day I saw. So, you know, you, when you have kids and stuff like that, you know, they're those, that, that, that baby weight and stuff that kind of gets there. When she had Jada, you know, Jada, you'd have thought she had triplets. I kind of felt bad because I thought I did her wrong. <laughs> but, you know, she had the baby. You know how women, they, 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 sometimes they get their baby weight and stuff. After she had Junior, you know, she started kind of getting real self-conscious about her weight and how things were going were going with her. And she felt like that it affected me. I told us like every day. I look, it, it was, it's crazy to me on how I look at my wife when I met her and up until the point where she had kids. It's like there was nothing different about her. There was nothing that had changed. I didn't even notice any of the weight. And she would say, and we'll look at pictures and stuff back then, because at one point she had a uh, gastric bypass. Because, uh, you know, I mean, I wanted her to do what she felt was necessary 
the way she would feel like she was healthy and that she felt good about herself. Only thing that I cared about was the fact that as long as the surgery and stuff was safe and that she was able to get past it and that if I was able to help her get through it in any kind of way, I was down for it. I probably wouldn't have said that about 10, 15 years ago. I'm like, just go work out. But, hmm. you know, it is what it was. But when she started losing the weight after she had the gastric bypass, there was there was something there for me that kind of changed. Mm. It was it was kind of weird to see her lose the weight that she did. And it it kind of made me feel a certain kind of way. And I have to literally admit that. Like I had I had been so used to seeing her in this particular light. And when she made this drastic change, because when you get that gastric, like you you lose weight like that. Mm-hmm. When she had that, it it actually kind of made me it had me a little weird at first. I didn't really know how to deal with it because like her whole body had changed at one point. She was still the same person, but it, it just wasn't what I was used to. You know what I mean? So we 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 didn't. It I, I, it wasn't that I wasn't attracted or anything like that. It was just kind of weird to just kind of see her go from what I had grown to know and love to just like, she basically became a totally different person at one point. Uh, it's kind of wondered. So, so, but do you think, because in your case, you're, you're talking about someone who, who was trying to do something that, that was, they felt was going to better them. And it was a drastic change yeah. through it. Right. Do you think that those feelings may have came from you perhaps feeling like that maybe you were insecure about something you hadn't done yet. Yeah. All day. Cause oh shit, all day. Cause when she got small, I'm like, damn, I'm not, I'm the fat motherfucker that's walking around with, with the beautiful skinny woman. And shit. Of course I felt <laughs> self-conscious. Oh, that shit was on me all day long. Like, Oh wait, cause it's pictures that we take you after she had that surgery. I'm like, Jesus, I feel like I'm gonna crush her or something like that. It, it was just weird. It really was, but it, but in that, in that, in that, I think the the best part about our relationship was like communication in that, where it was, you know, I I tried to at least kind of convey how I felt about it, and then she, you know, she let me know it's like, you know, it's not like I'm expecting you to go and get that surgery too because I want you to be skinny and all this other stuff. I love you because of who you are and what you've been. Just like I, like the whole thing for her, it was about her mentality and how she felt about herself. And I wanted her to be happy regardless. But yeah, oh yeah, there was plenty of security. And I'm like, damn, I, said, I need to go do some sit-ups or something. I had to stop eating. <laughs> I couldn't even like with that gastric. Like she can't eat like we normally would. So like we would go to restaurants and she'd have a couple bites or something and she'd be done. And here I am tearing into a steak, a lobster tail, a potato, <laughs> sitting at this table looking like a monster trying to eat all this food while she's sitting here like this dabbing him. Taking little sips of water. Yeah, I was self-conscious as hell. <laughs> I'll have a lemon slice and a glass of uh <laughs> hey. Yeah, I, I, I separate love and um sexual attraction, especially for a man. I feel like you can absolutely love someone that you're not sexually attracted to. And guys have sexual contact with women they do not love all the time. So I don't, I don't necessarily equate the two. And I've actually uh, seen a relationship that 
seemed fine at first and seemed like they were enjoying each other's company. And then the woman had to uh, get her breast size reduced. And it had a significant impact on their relationship, which I kind of feel like puts the whole thing in question, right? (laughs) Like, you know, if you truly, truly love the person, and especially if they're getting their breast size reduced because of health, you know, because it, it is at this point negatively impacted their body. I don't understand how you can love a person and not find a way to try to get past that and still keep the relationship going. You go to a doctor and you find some healthy ones to put back in there. Don't change that <laughs> on nobody like that. It's wrong with you. <laughs> some weightless silicone. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe she went a couple years beforehand where doctors was using stuff they had no business using. Go on back, get you some replacements, get you some healthy green ones, get them on in there. We happy. Wow. We good. What's the problem? So to follow that up, um, <laughs> do you have a responsibility to be um, the same person? Meaning if you get with a particular individual for a long-term serious relationship and when you meet them, you have a specific political affiliation, you have a religion, you have some pillars that kind of define who you are. Do you have a responsibility to stick with that? Because that is the person that this this other individual fell in love with. Like, I'll be honest, if Samantha all of a sudden made a turn and she started, you know, supporting Trump and wearing MAGA hats and talking about Black Lives Matter people are terrorists. I don't know if this uh, marriage could survive that. Just being completely honest, <laughs> you I don't know? know, we could be friends again. <laughs> right, right. Know about <laughs> or is that unfair on my part? You know, because technically, you know. Nobody is going to stay the same, especially if you're going to be with them for a long period of time. So when you get into these these marriages, these situations, should you expect that, hey, you're not going to be the same person 15 years from now that you are right now? And I should just be ready to adapt and flow with the changes that you go through. I think that'd be a major change, though. Something like that, I, I kind of feel like. Okay, so to to start off one spectrum and to com- be completely a different spectrum, like I I think that takes something drastic, and I think that's something that happens to somebody personally that that has to be worked out some way. There's there has to be some form of communication. That, that's something that just can't blindside you. You can't just wake up one day and she come walking in the room with a maga hat on, ready to go and storm the Capitol. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> That's that's one of the things like you, I don't think that that there's something in that where you have to be like, OK, well, I just got to follow my wife because now she's ready to go tear up some shit and <laughs> let's jump down on it. There has to be some kind of gradual change or an understanding of of where you're going mentally or what with a religion that you're talking about. Like that some of that stuff, is like, if you just if you with somebody who's just full blown off in the oh, I'm going to be a Buddhist. <laughs> I, think, I think you should have known this person was like that before you married them. To be perfectly honest with you, 
I mean, but sometimes people do get blindsided, right? It, th- that's a, what do they call it? A midlife crisis. You know, people decide, you know what? I want to change my life. I want to do something different. And they just make a switch and they don't necessarily ask you about that switch. They just decide, hey, this is what's best for me. So you're not always prepared for the changes that you see. Going and getting a motorcycle as a guy, like being a midlife crisis type thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Going out and playing like football, like full equipment and everything at the age of 45. I, I just need to change. I need to feel young again. Yeah, okay. It decisions like that kind of fix themselves at the end of the day. And if it's and if it's a change that somebody's doing that they're trying to just kind of make themselves feel better. Cause yeah, I mean, when you get them older, when you hit them ages, obviously. It's just like, okay, I got to do something to make myself feel alive again. I mean, there's certain things that you can compromise in that. There's communication involved. And like I say, like some of that stuff just don't happen like in an instant. There may be a very, very tiny portion of the population that would do this. But in general, I don't think you're going to have that, that that group of people that just wake up and go, I'm 45 now. I've always wanted to be racist. Now's my time. Happen right, but mm-hmm. but I, I think I think um, Jason's right. The signs are there, and they, and they gradually come on. But I think when you're in it, it's harder to see it. Like um, like like Trump is a perfect example, right? You know, McConnell and Pence. I guarantee you thought. Thought that they could have Trump under control. They thought that there was only so far Trump would go, and and I think when you're in when you're in it, you you think okay, they're not going to get that crazy. It's only so far they're going to go. It's only so far they're going to take it until it's out of control. So it's either you think you got it or it's just completely off the rails. And I, I so I think it's hard for people to see that, you know. Um, you really do have to try to try to set some type of expectations and, and, you know, you got to be honest with your partners in the beginning of, you know, Hey, I, 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 I married you, you're Christian, you know, and, and that's part of the reason that I'm with you. And if you're, if you decide you don't want to be Christian, that's going to make me question the relationship. Now, maybe you can't say for sure that you will break up with this person, but you need to be honest that that's a big reason that you're with that person. You know, now there's some religions and some people who automatically know because they're a part of the religion that, hey, you know, it's kind of because of this religion we're locked in. So if you're not a part of that religion, we got a problem. Some religions, you know that, right? So, so, you know, having those expectations at the beginning is so important, but it's a lot of stuff, just like with the physical stuff. We don't talk about it at all in the beginning where where it's just love so it's go straight forward and we don't we don't think about any of that what changes are deal breakers for you it's so hard to say i would gotta say if if, if my woman was to storm the capital i i would definitely have to question i would have to say at the point that she's doing something that that starts to risk the family you know, that, that starts to mm-hmm. risk her and risk the family. And at the point that she's not willing to even discuss it, you know, I would say now that's that's where I have to say, you know, there's a lot of questions we need to ask. And we need to 
it, you know, if you don't even you want to do all this stuff, it's endangering us. You don't even want to run it past me. You know, <laughs> if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna endanger the family, you should kind of talk it over with the family first, right? So, right. you know, <laughs> it's it's that sort of thing that I think would make me go, okay, there are some lines crossed, and we need to we need to discuss this. You know, um, other than that, I can't really think of anything. You know, I, I can't think of it's not too much that would make me go. I, I can't be with this woman. I don't think it was anything that I can say that would be a deal breaker in it other than just us living our lives and trying to figure out what direction we want to go in. Are you are you are you listening to what it is, what I want to do? Do you hear and feel on how I want to be? Am I being that person that you want me to be or that you can at least deal with? I got this. I got I got this baggage on me and I'm carrying it every day, mm-hmm. but this is who I am too. I'm pretty cool to hang out with you. Love me. I love you. And we talking about building the future. We having these babies Then let's go. Yeah. I agree with, uh, uh, both of you. Like there's very little that I would consider a deal breaker for the relationship I've cultivated with my wife. Um, the only thing I can think of is the discussion that we had before we even got married. I've, since I was young, I've seen myself as a father and I wanted to be a father. And Samantha, she um, had to take care of her nephew when he was very, very young. So she already had that experience of, you know, waking up every day, being responsible for someone, taking him to school, taking care of all his meals, et cetera, et cetera. And so she had very little interest in having to do that whole rodeo again. We met each other in 2001. We didn't actually get married until, I think, 2014. And um, her not wanting to have children was a big reason for that. I was like, if you don't want to have children, I don't want to be married. You're not the one. And when she finally relented, that's pretty much when we got together. And so I always told her, like, look, I want children. I want a lot of children. I wanted six. She's agreed to three. So (laughs) I want my three. (laughs) And I always told her, for whatever reason, there's an issue and we have to break up. My kids come with me. (laughs) And you can go off and do whatever you (laughs) want to do. My kids stay with me. Uh, That's the only thing that I could think of that would be like a major uh, deal breaker. And she was like, you know what? I can't stand being a mother anymore and I don't want to have you know, any more kids. But actually, now that we're in the situation where we have Simone, Samantha loves it. Samantha absolutely loves being a mother. She adores Simone and it really hasn't been an issue at all. So I'm really, really uh, thankful about it. The very last question is, how do you personally adapt to changes in your spouse? And I think, uh, Jason, you've already answered this question to some degree with your previous commentary. I haven't had to deal with a serious real change from Samantha. I forgot I adapted yet. But Hudson, I figured I'd start with you. You know, how do you adapt to changes in your spouse? Um, I mean, I can't say that I've I've seen any any real changes, so to speak, you know, at least definitely on on any uh spectrum that that will warrant a a reaction as far as something negative or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I think you, but I, I think overall you got to be supportive. Change has to come. It has to come. I mean, uh, in it, one of the things I didn't mention about the book I'm reading, it, it's you change or you die. 
I mean, you might as well be dead here on this earth if you do not change. You know, so I, I wholeheartedly believe that. And it's up to us if we decide that that change is going to be a good change or or if it's going to be a negative change. So, so I mean, for for any change, I have to be, I have to try to be supportive. And I have to try to keep the lines of communication open where if the change is, in my opinion, getting, I guess, for lack of better words, too negative, I, you know, I have to be supportive and I have to have the guts. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people in general don't have this. I have to have the guts to say that that this is this is not changing for the good, whatever it is. And you know, that's where the strong bonds come from. That's where the, the strong relationship comes from when you have those open and honest discussions and and dialogues. You know, and I think that's also a part of support. You know, it's not just support to to be a yes man and say, you know, yes dear to everything, even though I say that most times just to make sure that's to take out the trash, yes dear. You know, that's to do clean that. Oh, yes, dear. <laughs> you know, even if I'm not but I still say yes, dear, right? I mean, that's what I'm supposed to do, right? So anyway, uh, <laughs> I hope you don't hear that part. Anyway, that's the that's the overall thing is that you have to be supportive to your spouse. Whatever whatever you do, and and we all have children, so what? And we all have to be mindful that whatever we do is being watched. It's being watched under a microscope, and and uh, you know I have to let. I have to make sure that my kids know that I, I got my wife's back a thousand percent on on anything. So, you know, especially when they start getting to the age where they try to pit us against one another so they can get a cookie. You know, I, I got to make sure, she knows, uh, you know, if, if, if your mama said you can't have a cookie, what makes you think I'm going to let you have a cookie? You can't have no cookie. Get out of here. You know, and and I have to support. I have to support. So, you know, that's that's how right. I feel about it. And I, and I think that's the best way to adapt to any change is that you, you just have to be open. You have to be open and honest mm-hmm. and communicate about it. Awesome. Well, thank you, brothers. Appreciate all of you uh, providing your perspective. I think that was definitely an in- interesting topic for us to broach. Uh, now, as always on our podcast, we have come to the final section, <laughs> and that is for the last time and for quite some time, we'll talk about the Bears. And of course, they recently had a press conference where everyone from the owner to the head coach tried to convince us that everything is really okay and that we're on the right track and that we're just one step away from the Super Bowl, apparently, and that all that needed to happen, the only person who needed to pay a cost for this was our defensive coordinator, apparently, <laughs> who might have already intended to retire, quite frankly. So he might not have even been forced out. He might have already just planned to go and decided, yeah, sure, I'll step away and y'all can pretend that you made me a fall guy for this nonsense. But personally, I believe if he didn't intend to retire, they would have just kept everybody and stepped out on that podium and tried to convince us that this is the squad that's really going to be able to put together a team that'll take us all the way to the Super Bowl. I don't buy it, and I don't have much more to say because I'm still pretty disgusted. But Hudson, you wanted to speak on it? Oh, yeah. I, I listened to that to that press conference, the entire thing. 
Uh, the entire thing? To the entire You're thing. A better man than me. Know what was going on and what they could possibly be thinking. Um, because uh, the reason I listened to it is because I saw the previous day that the pretty much the reports were they were going to keep Coach Nagy and and uh, and General Manager Ryan Pace. They were going to keep them both. And I wanted to know why. I I, I wanted to hear some kind of reason <laughs> as to why this is what they were going to do. And, and did you get that? No, <laughs> no. Here's the thing. And now I see. I definitely see. If I didn't know before, I definitely see why reporters ask the same questions over and over again. And and the, and the reporters asked. There were like three questions that the reporters kept asking because they kept not answering. There was absolutely no answer to these questions. And. And one of the biggest questions is, why do you have so much faith in Pace and Nagy to do this again? And and they kept they, and and the reporters were just looking for something tangible, something they could hold on to. Like they would have took anything, any reason. But all they kept hearing was they got this great culture and and this collaboration that they're gonna do now that that is just going to lead them into some type of promised land, you know, and, and nothing tangible came out of the whole thing. There was no absolute real reason they could give. And what's even scarier is when reporters asked, are there any standards that you set? Are there any benchmarks that you set? There was none. There was none. Now, let me, let me say, I did not expect them to actually say what the benchmarks were because you always want to be able to walk it back at the end of the season. You don't want to say I'm gonna fire them if they're if they don't go twelve and four. <laughs> because then what if they go eleven and five? Are you gonna fire them if they go eleven and five? Probably not. So you wanna be able to yeah, walk it back. They did love it. You know, and and you know, that's and that that's but to to basically say but they could have said, Hey, there are some benchmarks set, you know, and we'll see how they pan out. They basically said, eh, it's kind of a, you got to kind of take it how you feel at the end of the season. They did this wishy-washy thing that lets you know that there's absolutely no standards set in place here. So, look, here's my take on it, right? Here's the only thing that I think Ryan Pace does well, right? And, and, and initially, you guys might disagree with me, but here's what I'm going to say he does well. He drafts well. He drafts well. If you take Trubisky out of that out of the equation, he actually drafts pretty good. Okay, I mean, it, it, if you look at the defensive side of the ball, he drafted. I, I made a list: Eddie Goldman, Adrian Amos, and even though it, it, Leonard Floyd didn't work out like we wanted, I still think it was a good pickup. It just wasn't a good, you know, it just didn't really work out. But I still think it was a good pickup. Nick uh, Kutwowski, however you pronounce his last name. Uh, Dion Bush played some very meaningful minutes for us. Eddie Jackson, Roquan Smith, Bilal Nichols has stepped up. I think Duke Shelley was is going to be a, a, a nice contributor over time. Jalen Johnson, uh, Vildor, he, he put up some meaningful time with the injuries that happened. You know, then you got Cody White here. Jordan Howard, Tariq Cohen, James Daniels, David Montgomery, Cole Komet, Darnell Mooney. 
right? I mean, it, he drafts well, but what he does is give away a ton of our draft picks. So you draft good, but then you give them away, right? And 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 you have seemingly no idea how to pick a quarterback. You can pick everybody else, but you cannot pick a quarterback at all. You know, you know the quarterbacks he's picked. You know, Mitch Trubisky, Nick Foles, Mike Lennon, Chase Daniels. You know, and and one one in draft and three in free agency. But you see that this is just uh, he's picked all all quarterbacks who had no no track record of success. Nothing you could point at and say mm-hmm. this is a quarterback for the future. This is a quarterback that I have confidence in. Right. So, you know, none. Here's here's what I think after I heard this whole debacle. Right. And let me say uh, in the way it sounded and and it sounded bad. A lot of Bears fans are mad. But in the way it sounded, I wouldn't be surprised if midseason next year, if you will see something unprecedented that the Bears never do. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if they do it is that midseason. If it looks like that Nagy and Pace ain't got their crap together, that that they're going to be fired midseason. I would not be surprised if that happens, right? Even though that's something they never do, I wouldn't be surprised if they do it. But here's what I think. If 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 they're going to keep Pace and Nagy, here's what I think they got to do, right? Here's what I think they got to do. First off, they got seven draft picks this year. They better keep them, Okay. <laughs> they better keep them, right? Because at, at, from the list that I pointed out, each of those years that he's drafted, he's found players that could come in and make immediate impact. So I, I, except quarterback, he's been able to find some meaningful pits in the draft, all right? Number two, I got to say, man, no blockbuster trades this year. None, you know? I know people are excited about the thought of Deshaun Watson. I know that press, uh, that Prescott is is on is is there and all that, but I think we got to We got to you know. I don't think we're willing to pay the heavy price that we had to pay for Prescott because rumor has it they're about to offer him four years at one hundred and fifty eight million. I don't think we want to pay it. Now I don't think it's worth it, honestly, for us. I don't uh, for them maybe for us no and he's and remember he's in that mediocre <laughs> uh, deal too he's coming from a place where it, it's all just like the Bears the fans are just as fed up with them as we are with the Bears so I don't think he's right for it so if you take away that Pres- Prescott and and Deshaun Watson out of the equation I really see no other quarterbacks in free agency that are significantly better than what we got. I honestly don't see it. Right. And I think it's a waste of money to try to go after them. Right. So, and and I don't think a blockbuster trade to give away our future again for Deshaun Watson is worth it for us. So I think we got to stick with what we got. So the unpopular thing, in my opinion, stick with is keep Nick Foles and keep Trubisky. Keep them. Right. And draft the quarterback in the draft. Number three, we got to stop placing so much emphasis on the quarterback position that we're forgetting all the rest of it. We got holes in a lot of different places. Some th- some people think we don't, but we do. 
right? We don't have a next man up, right? As soon as Roquan Smith went down, we were done. Why? Because we decided to trade away a good draft pick that Pace made. We decided to trade him away and get rid of him or let him go in free agency. I'm sorry, uh, Nick Kwiatkowski, whatever his name is. We decided to let him go and keep Dickie Trevathan, right? Um, and that has not worked for us. Didn't work for us at all, right? So we got to stop placing so much emphasis. Look, I know we see Aaron Rodgers in our division, and he's a great quarterback. But he's won one NFC Conference Championship and one Super Bowl in the same year. That's it. Okay? He has, he has been self-served a division on a platter because none of the other teams in our division compete. That's why his success is so good. Yes, he is a great quarterback. He is. But he but he is he has benefited because we have a weak division. That's why he looks so good. It's not all about the quarterback, and we need to realize that. We need to put the pieces in place around it to make it happen. You know, this collaboration and good culture. What I think people get it confused, they get mediocrity confused with 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 good culture. And, and mediocrity is a tricky bitch. It can disguise itself as great culture all the time. I've seen it in a lot of different places I go. People are happy with being mediocre because it means your expectations aren't up here. And people like you better when you don't have high expectations of them. <laughs> you know, basically you're okay to fail. And that's what I see. The Bears are okay to fail. And they have to switch that around. But overall, here's the reason why I think Pace and Nagy truly didn't go anywhere this season. Because so many teams need a GM and a head coach this year. And when I actually looked at it, there's a lot of teams out in the market looking for these guys right now. So I think it was they felt like it was a bad year for them to do the search because they're going to have to pay more money out to try to take a candidate away from other people who wanted them, right? So I think they decided with that, and especially because their big thing when they were asked, are you doing this because of the money? Because it would cost you more money, especially when COVID, when all the teams are losing money. They said no. I, I believe that was the only question that they answered with any kind of conviction, and I think that was a lie. They did it because they didn't want to spend the money and other teams were going to be competing for the GMs and for the head coaches that they would want. Only if they're sticking to what the McCaskey has always done and say that only white people can be in charge of this organization because there are plenty of qualified black candidates who still aren't even getting an interview. <laughs> There's there is no competition for the brothers. The competition is all is for all the young white folks, the, the same people that they keep recycling over and over again. Doug Peterson just got fired by the Eagles. Apparently, he's already up for head coaching job with another team. His his year this past year was absolutely disgraceful. But they just recycle these guys back in and keep giving them a job. I feel like they should blow the whole thing up. I feel like they should trade Trubisky, trade Mack, get those draft picks. I agree with you that we draft well. We need to just start over clean. I was uh, looking at an article, I think it was yesterday, from the Chicago Sun-Times. They uh, talked to an organizational person who was not associated with the Bears or Packers. And, and he said, 
if you look at every single position on the Bears team, the Packers are superior. He's like the only position where you can even try to make a case that the Bears are better is inside linebacker. And he was like, and I still rate them lower because Danny Trevathan is absolutely horrible. But he's like, there's no area or whether you look at offensive line, defensive line, wide receiver, quarterback, defensive backs, it doesn't matter what area of the team you look at. The Packers are superior. So what core do we really have that's allowing us to just put in a couple of pieces and then be able to compete the way that we need to? Because essentially the Packers are who we're competing with. We can, it would be very difficult for us to get to the Super Bowl without being able to compete against the Packers. And so if that's your ultimate goal, we, we, we're, not, we're not set up for success. So in my mind, blow it up. Trade these people off, give draft picks, and start with a fresh foundation and try to actually create something that'll put a quality product out there. Because the fact of the matter is, if we're four or five years away from being able to really seriously contend, these people that we're talking about won't be able to help us at that point anyway. Mac is not going to be nearly as good four years from now. We've already decided Trubisky is not that guy. Like, I don't see the point in trying to hang on to these people. It, it's a wrap. I don't think it's that the Packers at every position are better. I, I think it's that uh, – I think what the and, – and again, what I'm going to repeat, it comes down to coaching. Okay, so this this past year, we had 11 games decided by one score. We had 11 games this year decided by one score, and we were six and five in those games. Okay, by contrast, the Kansas City Chiefs were eight and one in those games. The Buffalo Bills were six and one in those games. Seahawks, eight and three in those games. Right. So 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 the good teams are excelling when it's one score or less. A team like us who are being mediocre middle of the pack, we're six and five. What that tells me, and, and not just this year, we were six and five last year, and we were six and five in 2018 in games that were decided by one score. What that tells me is that the players aren't playing for that coach, and that coach is not – it's a matter of inches. And we've seen too many times where Nagy does some weird foo-foo play on a third and one when you need to ram it down their throats. You've seen too many times where he didn't have Jimmy Graham in the game when they're inside the 10-yard line. This comes down to coaching and motivating your players. And so when they say they have good culture, this is not good culture. I was honestly, I, I know people were expecting me to have some form of thought in this conversation. I personally am just thankful the season is over. <laughs> I I don't remember too many seasons where like my emotions have been just just been I feel like I feel like girl that they got cheated on by 18 times and I keep showing up on Sunday to cook Sunday dinner. <laughs> make sure he eat good man he oh he fucking old girl right in the bedroom while i'm cooking jesus <laughs> it's that bad brother <laughs> and, and, and i think at some point in time 
if we're going to have these same coaches, they I, I can't say that they're going to have to renew what it is that he came in with back in 2018, because in the grand scheme, I don't his offense don't work. It just doesn't. It was mediocre in 2018, except they had a few decent players and you had a little bit more confidence in the Mr. Trubisky who actually excelled in that terrible-ass offense that they had. It wasn't even the best offense in 2018. They scored a few points. It wasn't that good then. Them same goofy-ass plays that we keep seeing, we've been seeing that shit for three years now. And that ain't never going to change. So the fact of the matter is, is his offense doesn't work. Now, if you can't convince him that you need to bring in a real offensive coordinator and bring in some new plays, that it's not going to be any different. I, I don't think – I think he's way too prideful to deal with that because of the way he has treated and how he has not coached Mitch Trubisky. You can't tell me that this kid is the same dude he was three years ago when he came into the league. That's fucking mathematically impossible. Every quarterback that's come into the league has either gotten better or just doesn't play anymore. Right. And it's one. It's got to be one or the other. Is it this kid has to get better, and that means coaching not only during the fucking season. That means in the fucking off season too. You got to put some kind of effort into this kid. Put him with the right people, the right trainers, and everybody else that's going to put him in a position to succeed. Other than fucking around and coming out at the beginning of every damn season saying, "Oh well, Mitch, you know." coming out on TV saying that he don't really understand the fucking offense. Maybe that's because of you. (laughs) Maybe that's the problem. Maybe the problem is the offense. If don't nobody understand it, which apparently don't nobody do because it's either Allen Robinson having fucking 87 catches during the year with a thousand some damn yards. Cause he the only motherfucker he know to throw it to. (laughs) So at some point in time, you have to start reevaluating the fact that maybe your offense don't fucking work. And maybe it's time to fuck around and enlist somebody who knows how to run an offense, who knows how to coach a quarterback, who knows how to put a quarterback in a position to succeed. We've had plenty of motherfuckers that came in this league that then came from college and then fucked around and got better. And that's just how it's supposed to work if you're a good coach. But once you make a decision, once you come onto a team and say, well, I ain't pick him. I need the one I need in order to win. You shouldn't have a fucking job in the first place. Hmm. Plain the fuck simple. Because you don't get to walk into an organization and say, I want this. Because guess what? When you got here, you had what you had. And you should have fucking worked with it instead of talking shit about it. Mm-hmm. I can't the, fucking, the first thing you wanted to do was get Mitch ass out the fucking game. Shit, you wanted to get him out when he was playing Detroit at the beginning of the year. But you decided to wait to Atlanta until y'all got down a couple points, and this was your excuse to get Nick Foles in, and that's because you worked with Nick. It was lo- it was lovely working with Nick them six weeks he was here in Kansas City and came in and got us in the playoffs like he did back in Philadelphia. That's great that, that Nick Foles was your fucking wonder quarterback for a couple of fucking games. That's great. That was great for Philadelphia. It worked out for them. That ain't how it worked in a real NFL season. Mm-hmm. Now we talk about and we talked about the fact that the Bears played mediocre teams as opposed to good teams. I can give a fuck, man. The NFL is any given fucking Sunday. Motherfuckers can come out there on that field and beat the dog shit. You see what Cleveland just did to damn Pittsburgh. 
<laughs> it wasn't no, no fucking way Cleveland was supposed to dog walk Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh in the fucking playoffs. These niggas scored 30-some points in the first quarter. <laughs> that that ain't how it's supposed to work. That, no, Cleveland, no. And I can give a fuck if it was a bullshit game. I could give a fuck what Pittsburgh did the last five games of the season. That's horseshit. On paper, Pittsburgh was better than Cleveland. On that Sunday, they they, they chose otherwise. <laughs> so I think there's a mashup when it comes to having coaches who bring a culture to a team and a team that's able to adapt to that culture. In 2018, the Bears were in that culture. And I think they had a set of circumstances where they had certain coaches that were quite enveloped into that damn, into that culture. When Vic Fangio left, I thought that was one of the biggest fucking nut kicks in the world. When Denver hired him as a head coach, you took, you took entire, you took an identity away from that team. Right. The Bears didn't even look like they did in 2018 when 2019 season started. You didn't even feel it. i when they played the Packers the first game of the season in 2018, even though they lost, I was still geeked up just because of the way they were, the way they played that game, the way they were out there just fucking playing. Mm-hmm. And it was excitement. I hadn't seen excitement on a Bears football team in years. So it got me geeked up. And when 2019 came and they played the Packers the first game of the season in 2019, you – that dull ass game we watched. Do you remember that game in 2019 when they played the Packers? It was 13 to three or some shit like that. That was the most boring shit I ever seen in my life. It's like, what is this? How how do you make this change from what it was then to what it is now? So I do believe that coaching does have a big difference in it. And if you're gonna come in with a culture and tell motherfuckers, hey, we got clubbed up in this bitch, you got to keep that shit going from year to year. Well. On that note, <laughs> I, I, I'll close it out with this, that I think the biggest disappointment and the most unfortunate thing about this season is the way that we have wasted Nick Foles' time here. And I feel completely 100% confident that we could, if we implement the culture that he's talking about, we are in a position to hopefully be able to succeed next year. I want to thank all of you for joining us here at SJH Bad Cave. We appreciate you spending time with us today. Remember that you can hear this and other episodes on all your major podcast platforms. We're on YouTube at SJH Man Cave. Once you're there, please hit that subscribe button, like, and leave a comment. You can also share, like, and follow us on Facebook at SJH Podcast Family and SJH Man Cave. I would like to thank my two fellow podcasters, Jason and Hudson, for keeping it real. Until next time, this is your host, Samori, signing off. Peace.